0: Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson with my tag team partner Matt Story, and we've got a hodgepodge of playoff sports activities. And, and Matt, this is kind of what you were hoping we'd get, wasn't it? When uh, it is. got the it way. is,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, back in you know May and June when there were just projections, and it was like, boy, the fall could be pretty loaded. And and yeah, it's turned out to be. I mean, we've got football uh, going on, maybe not exactly as scheduled, but close. Um, I mean, a little different than certainly how it was originally supposed to be with college ball, especially. Um, but, you know, games on every Saturday, games on Sunday, uh, plus, you know, yeah, Stanley Cup playoffs, NBA playoffs, baseball in its playoffs, U.S. Open golf, Masters golf. Uh, you know, for someone like me who likes them all, yeah, this ain't bad.
0: Let's start with the the recently finished NBA playoffs, LeBron James, third different team that he's led to a championship, uh, MVP of the finals again Mm -hmm. what do you say borderline hall of famer at this point (laughs) i would think so yeah i think he's made a pretty good case he's he's probably Um, in i would think he's
1: probably safely in yeah yeah i mean uh you know if it was the baseball hall of fame you'd say who knows because you know you can you can be a true all-time great in the baseball hall of fame and not get in for other reasons um but uh yeah i mean you know uh, an impressive uh climb for them and you know one thing i was i was watching some of the you know aftermath and we've kind of talked about this in basketball is like usually a, a team before they win a championship they got to experience some major heartbreak and this team kind of skipped that step they went from you know not making the playoffs last year having a lottery pick to you know they traded for anthony davis and they won the title uh, that that doesn't happen that much in the nba but you know this was a year that i guess it was set up for somebody probably to win uh, unless it was Milwaukee, I suppose, you know, you know, with, with a new core, whether it was the Clippers, the Lakers, um, the Raptors, if they had won again, they would have you know, done it without Kawhi Leonard, um, you know, and and the Lakers were the team that emerged, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about it because you just think about, well, LeBron should right. always be there. Right.
1: Right. And, and it kind of caught me by surprise too because they, I mean, I was writing some and somebody said something about, you know, they've missed the playoffs the last six years. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's LeBron. It's that that cult of personality that is LeBron that, um, you know, and, and I, I don't much uh, listen or read this guy anymore, but I used to back in the day. And I remember Bill Simmons made this point when I think before the Heat dis- decision that, you know, maybe LeBron's uh, destiny could be, you know, the first kind of like individual uh, dynasty that you know, he could go multiple places and win championships and by God, that's exactly what he's done.
0: Yeah, this is uh the third different team he's won with. Uh, he's been to the finals every year but one in the yeah. last uh, yeah. decade. Yeah. So Yeah,
1: I, I PTI Kornheiser had the stat. There have been fifty seven NBA finals games played over the last ten years and LeBron's been in fifty one of them. That's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's pretty good. He's yeah I saw yeah. he's never missed a po- postseason game. In his career. Which is
1: really amazing, too. I didn't, you know, I, I'd never really paid attention to that. I, I mean, I, I kind of, I guess I knew it without knowing it, um, you know, because he'd never been hurt for the playoffs. But, you know, to never even miss one game is pretty remarkable. Um, and, and, you know, been remarkably durable through his career, and that's why last year was so unusual, because it was really the first time he missed extended time with an injury in, you know, 16 years at that point. Um, and this year, you know, I think he played 67 of their 71 regular season games in every playoff game. And, uh, you know, yeah, just, just another, another great year, another feather in the cap for a a guy who, you know, he's, he's at the very least, he's in the conversation for the greatest ever. And you can have your opinion on whether he is or isn't, but once you enter that conversation, that's pretty good territory. And he's, he's entered
0: that. Absolutely true. Um, Anthony Davis trade totally worthwhile, even if he leaves. One hundred percent. One hundred percent, and I don't think
1: he's going to. No. Um, You know, but yeah, I mean, it it certainly was, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the Pelicans develop into with, you know, Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart, and if they, you know, can can develop into something around that core, obviously with Zion as well. You know, the the perception on it may change a bit, but. Um, you know, look, you, you you got a star in his prime um, who wanted to be there and who really fits well alongside LeBron. Like, we've, we've, you know, LeBron has played with other stars, and I personally thought he'd be a great fit with Kevin Love. When they got Kevin Love in Cleveland, I thought, man, this is going to work great. And it just never really did.
0: Um, they got, Anthony Davis they got seems their to one be just the right fit. They won what? a title. Oh,
1: yeah. They wanted, you know, I mean,
0: they, Part they won it was a title in the four finals. Love was never. 100% right
1: he wasn't he yeah. wasn't Love just didn't seem to feel comfortable in that you know in that role he, he, he kind of became a little bit more marginalized now Love's a different type of player than Anthony Davis admittedly I mean Anthony Davis really good defensively um, He can. he's a better inside scorer than Kevin Love and can score on the outside you know I mean Love just kind of became um, you know a, a very well paid um, you know Shooter, basically. Uh, He didn't really bring a whole lot more to the table on that team. Um, And he was also kind of the whipping boy, you know, publicly at least, you know, from the media and whatnot, that whenever something went wrong, it was, oh, they got to get rid of Kevin Love. Um, But it just never fit. And and Anthony Davis seems to fit great. And if they can keep this dynamic between the two of them, that, you know, kind of that big brother, little brother dynamic, and, and, you know, Davis likes that role and continues to emerge into the guy. And LeBron's willing to kind of step back just a touch. I, you know, there's no reason they can't contend over the next two, three, four
0: years too. One of the things that the marriage between LeBron and AD, I think, is showing, is that LeBron has be, has he's always been a political animal within the team, <laughs> but he's become incredible at working the working the media. And getting everyone on board to his narrative. I mean, he was yep. saying, "Well, AD is going to be the MVP this year." That was the whole. True. That was the True. whole talk before the season. But then yep. come voting time, and LeBron's second, he's like, "I can't believe I'm not the MVP." But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean,
1: and, and if they can keep that, and, and I say if because that's how it felt early on with him and Kyrie Irving. LeBron was the the sage mentor taking Kyrie Irving under his wing, and it didn't last. You know, they, they, they started to get a little sour toward each other, and Kyrie wanted out, and he got out. Um, now, Anthony Davis doesn't seem to be quite the head case that Kyrie Irving is. Um, but, you know, you, you wonder. You win a championship, and there's always that feeling of like, okay, at, at what point is there a point where Anthony Davis is going to say, well, hey, I, I want this to be my show. And is LeBron old enough now where he's willing to say, okay, your show, Uh, you know, I'll be the supporting role. And he kind of seemed to take that on more this year than he really actually did with Cleveland. You know, he said he was going to, but it never felt that way with Cleveland.
0: Well, and in the regular season, having somebody like AD is terrific because it lets LeBron, you know, he might not skip a game, but if he only plays 20 minutes... Right or right. you know sits out the fourth quarter, you know especially if you go with the Kawhi type strategy of you know going into sure. the game this isn't what we're doing. Sure, you know?
1: sure, agreed. Yeah, I mean it. It, uh, it it just it meshed very well. It meshed better than certainly than he did with with past big men. Uh, you know, Bosch didn't really. I mean, Bosch was good with them. and Love was good with the Cavs. don't get me wrong, but neither one seemed to be as good on that team as they were with LeBron. Now, the other dynamic here is we throw in that Bosh was playing not only with LeBron, but Wade. And so the ball was going to be shared between the two of them. And Love was playing with LeBron and Irving. And the ball was going to be shared between the two of them. And this was a little different dynamic where it was, you know, LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. And there was no number three or 2A or whatever um, you know, they, they kind of, you know, they just had a nice cast of role players around them that, you know, at times weren't that impressive, but were impressive enough over the long haul to win a title.
0: Well, and that's one of those things when it comes to team building that it's always been people want to play with LeBron, but he's, sure. he's become better and better at figuring out which guys fit into that role. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the game they got out of Rondo. Oh you man? Know, yeah. It's yeah, and agreed. He Rondo's got a little Kyrie Irving streak to him as well. It does. does. But but well. he seems to really enjoy playing with LeBron, and LeBron seems to enjoy playing with him. It's yeah. one of those things where, you know, when you're one of when you believe you're one of the smartest players in the game and you finally get to play with two yeah. guys who are as good as Pierce and Garnett were when you were just right. starting out. I'm right, sure it's right. really fun to be back there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, it, and it's funny that
1: you use that term because you know Rondo was on NBA TV after the game and even said, you know, that he watched LeBron with Cleveland the you know, second time around when they were going against Golden State. And he, and he, you know, I can't remember exactly the word for it, but he basically said, you know, if I ever get a chance to play with him, you know, the, the way we attack the game, no team's going to be able to beat us four times before we can beat them four times. And, you know, at least this year, that was true. Um, you know, and, and yeah, they, they see the game from, I think a similar mindset. Um, you know, rondo's one of those guys always has been, it's, it's not always the prettiest. Um, you know, he's developed an okay shot. It was terrible early in his career and now it's, it's passable. Um, but it, it can be ugly. He can have games where, you know, game five, I think he was, you know, four points and you know, one for eight shooting and you're like, Oh boy, he was a drain. And then game six, he comes out, makes his first six shots, a couple threes. And, you know, he was huge. And them, you know, basically pulling away and putting that game away in the second quarter. So, yeah, they, they found the right guys. And um, a little, a little. you know, I know he, he missed the shot that could have won the title in game five. But how about the career of Danny Green? A little, you got to give mm-hmm. some respect to him. Won a college championship at North Carolina. And he's played for three NBA teams. And he's won a championship with all three. That's a pretty good run.
0: Kind of like LeBron.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, okay, he wasn't LeBron, but he was a full-time starter for all three of those teams. He started every playoff game for the Spurs in 2014, every playoff game for the Raptors last year, and every playoff game for the Lakers this year. So it wasn't like he was, you know, the 12th man on the bench. Like, he was he was a legitimate player on all three of those teams.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a heck of a career for him.
1: For a guy who was, who was a second-round pick and was, was basically, you know, cast aside after, you know, a couple of years. I mean, he was, he was you know, getting, you know, D-league contracts and, and, you know, veteran tryouts, and then he, he latched on with the Spurs, finally, and, you know, ended up being an integral part of their team for several years, and now, you know, back-to-back years, first year with the new team, he wins the title.
0: It's It's a heck of a career for him. Okay.
1: It is. When you, I mean, when you think back to that oh9 Carolina team, and they had, I mean, it was Wayne Ellington, Ty Lawson, Tyler Hansbro, Danny Green, far and away the most accomplished pro, which you would not have expected.
0: No, absolutely not. I mean, uh, Ty
1: Lawson's known for being banned from China for getting a lap dance or something like that. <laughs> uh, you know, Hansbro kind of washed out early. Ellington's a, a journeyman. Danny Green, pretty good player.
0: Yeah, I mean, that... That's the thing, when you look back at that team, it's like Ty Lawson's fire burned brightly, but it did. quickly. It did. It did. He,
1: he had a short run there with the Nuggets, so you thought, boy, this guy's going to be an elite point guard. It just never quite got there. Nice run, but it never it never materialized. And then he was out of the league, and I mean, Ellington's kind of come and gone. I don't know, Hansborough's been out of the league several years, I think, now,
0: hasn't he? Mm-hmm. I believe that's true. It's
1: It's been a bit, so yeah, I mean, for a, you know, but hey, you can't beat a career where, you know, your college and your three professional teams, you've won a championship with all four. Pretty good run.
0: Yeah, Tyler Hansborough is uh, playing in China, and he has been in China for a while. In 2017, he was with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. Wow, Uh, His last NBA run was 15-16 season with the Hornets. Tyler
1: Hansbrough was a guy who was born like 15 to 20 years too late. He would have been probably a solid mid 90s NBA player. Mm-hmm. But as, as Big Ben became more and more like, you got to go out on the wing, you got to be able to shoot, that wasn't his game.
0: Yeah. A consensus college player of the year, yeah. three time yeah. first team All American, NCAA champion, ACC player of the year. Was he a lottery pick? I man, I think he was a first-round pick at least. Yeah, with the, uh, with the Pacers, right? Pacers,
1: that's what I thought, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the game evolved away from a guy like Tyler Hansbro. Uh, like, you could see, I mean, I'm not saying he would have been an all-star, but, you know, if he had been a, a mid-'90s guy back in the, you know, in the days where big men played inside exclusively, he could have been at least a, a, you know, decent reserve big man, maybe a starter for a certain team. Uh, you know, it's just
0: not that way right now. But I think the NBA, very, very successful post pandemic return. Certainly
1: was, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and good to see that they were able to finish. And just like we talked about with the NHL a couple weeks ago, um, you know, they, they had, what, 75, 80% of the season in the can when they had to put, put it on pause. And, and uh, you know, a great job by both leagues to find a way to make it work did it slightly differently, um, but, you know, found a way to come back, didn't, didn't give up on it, and we've got champions at the end that, you know,
0: both both certainly earned it. Absolutely. And uh, baseball is uh, closing in. They're circling yeah. a, a playoff yeah. finish in a World Series. About,
1: about two weeks. We should have a, a World Series champ, too, I think, thereabouts. Uh mm-hmm. Perhaps as soon as today we'll have one of the participants in the World Series, although it's uh, they're down early, I see. But we're, we're getting close to the finish line there, too.
0: Yeah, I you know, the the Rays are up 3-1 in the series. The Astros are up 3-1 early yeah. in this one. But yeah. if the Astros make the World Series, that's going to be very disappointing.
1: Man, me. I know, especially if they come back from 3-0 down. Yeah. My God, that would be the the... The ultimate like slap in the face to karma wouldn't it and they're down 3-0 and the Rays are catching every ball and making every play and Altuve's making throwing errors and yeah. if they come back it would really be a, a
0: shot below the belt. Altuve with uh, Steve Sachs disease and I saw that uh, I think it was ESPN someone went out and found Steve Sachs to, to comment <laughs> on it.
1: I didn't see that. Yeah. He's uh I wonder if Steve Sachs likes the fact he's still relevant
0: for that or not. Yeah. Well, the the thing I didn't realize because this was, you know, I just wasn't paying that close of attention. It's a little before my cognitive yeah. memory of baseball. Me Play, too. Yeah. He he was an all star before. Then he had the Yips. Then he came back and became an all star again.
1: Jay, really? Yeah. See, that's I, I didn't know that either. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, you, because that it, I, name is associated with like oh mental and and he went mental and and that ruined his career but i guess that wasn't true
0: well and i think you know you think about chuck knoblock or rick Ankeel, these guys who like they had to change positions it was just all over and it's like nope steve sax actually wound up being fine
1: (laughs) yeah that's interesting i didn't i didn't realize that either yeah i mean you're right that's before before our time and and yeah i mean he's uh you say that name and that's the association is, oh, well, he, you know, he went, he went loony and couldn't throw the ball to first base basically.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a little unfair because it turns it out you, you was, it there were is, other yeah. better examples since, but
1: yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's funny how that is, but you know, perception and reality. Sometimes you look at, things, I mean, there's so many examples of that. I know, you know, just from, from our years following sports that it's like, man, you know, something gets perceived as like, well, that was when that happened. Like, I don't, I don't agree. But you know, perception becomes the reality sometimes.
0: Yeah. Uh, but back to this series, baseball now, in both series, I guess, has mm-hmm. the playoffs have become really sort of a microcosm of the season as a whole and where the game is. Pitchers throw hard. It's all one true yeah. outcome. Yep. You know, home run or bust. And, you know, other than the massive first inning the Dodgers had yesterday where they got all kinds yeah. of different scoring.
1: Yeah, we have. And, and, I mean, the other thing that I noticed, and this is a great example today, we got a, a Game 5, and I know it's a little weird with the, you know, no days off, but a Game 5, you know, team playing for a chance to make the World Series, and each starter didn't get past the second inning. And that was by design. Like mean, it wasn't because they came out and got rocked. That was by design. And, like, it's such a different world now. I mean, I, I, you know, you and I grew up in the era of the '90s Braves, Mm -hmm. and you know, the the deep rotations and your starters went seven, eight innings, and you had, you know, maybe a setup man and a closer, and and boy, it's changed. I mean, now if you've got you know three good starters, that's a surprise.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, the I think about the Brewers this year with it's like at a certain point they just decided that whenever they needed a fifth starter. They were gonna do yeah. a bullpen day. Like they just yeah. gave up on the concept of It's crazy. You know. I
1: mean, and I and I know this year is a little different too, because they, they expanded the roster so you could have more pitchers. And so, you know, you give you give managers more of something, they're gonna use it. Um, but it you know, it's just wild how many I mean, what the didn't the Brewers do that in the playoff game a couple years ago?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, I guess, well, I, guess they, LA, I wanna say or something. You know, well, the, like, I mean the brewers one or two
1: of the series. It was early yeah. in
0: the series too. Well, I mean the Brewers with Council since this little run, and yeah. I think he's he doesn't get the credit he deserves because they haven't you know the furthest they've made it is one LCS and and they've right. been bounced by the Dodgers a lot yeah. from yeah. postseason games. But he was on the forefront of hey look we're we're just gonna pitch guys quick. You know I remember yeah. I remember this series in the LCS against the Dodgers where Wade Miley had been dominant and they acted like they were going to bring him back on short rest. He came out, he pitched to one hitter and came out of the game so that he could pitch the next day on his regular rest. (laughs) I remember
1: that too, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm not not necessarily, like, as I say this, I'm not trying to be old man, things were better when we were young. I'm just noting how different they are. Like, I remember when I was a kid learning baseball, you know, Mm -hmm. first following the sport, and it was, you know, five starters, We're not so old that we remember the four-man rotation days, but, you know, you had five starters, and that's how you built a team. You had five starting pitchers, um, and you had, you know, some middle relief, and you had a go-to closer. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, I mean, the Rays are a great example. Like, the Rays basically have three established starters. They don't really have an established closer. They have, I mean, I think I heard they had thirteen different guys record saves this year or something
0: like that in a, and this 60, is in a sixty game, game season. season.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, where they only won forty three games. So I mean, and forty three is pretty good. Or, or I think they actually won forty. Dodgers won forty three. Um, you know, so I mean, it just it shows you how different it is. And look, it's working. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. I'm not like you know. Again, I don't, I don't want to sound like uh, old man. Get off my lawn. You know, things were you know tougher back when we walked uphill both ways to school in the snow. Um, But it's just so different. And and I know this series, you know, these series are weird. Again, with no off days, you'd probably see some different strategies if you had the normal off days. But uh, it's just bizarre to me. I mean, to see, you know, both guys, both teams today just start a reliever and then take them out in the second inning. Like, wow, baseball sure has changed since we were kids.
0: I mean, it, it really just is the Dodgers who, of the teams that are left, have like an
1: actual deep rotation
0: yeah yeah, that it's like it's bad if their starters aren't ready you know or if they you know when they had to lose that kershaw start in game two and bring him back for tonight it's like oh man now that means kershaw's you know in jeopardy of being able to only make one start yeah i mean almost certainly i would think like uh, you know
1: because again with no days off game seven would only be two days i mean if there is a game seven uh, you know, two days rest. I can't see him now. I suppose maybe he could pitch out of the bullpen if you needed it at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that obviously makes a big difference in this series. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, you're right. The Dodgers kind of still have a, what feels like a rotation. Um, but, it, yeah, it's just so – and, again, I know this year's a, a weird year to judge. You probably shouldn't read too much into anything this year because of the way it was. But, man, it just seems weird. I, You know, like I remember as a kid, you know, getting the Sporting News baseball book and, you know, memorizing teams' rotations. And now, God, if you tried to memorize rotations, you'd have to memorize like 11 different guys.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my dad about, you know, the Brewers' prospects for next season. Yeah. I, and what, to, And it's like – well, you know, they got Woodruff, he was good. And you know, age, and Corbin Burns had a great season. Yeah. And yeah. it's like so they need to find three more starters. And now that we're talking, I'm like, do they? Or do they, or do they exactly, need to find yeah. one more starter and then just, Yeah. <laughs> just just piece it together. I mean it's it's
1: uh it's kinda of become like college baseball. When I you know, when I worked for ASU and you know, yeah, you had like two if you could have two really good starters, then you just pieced it together. The difference, of course, with college baseball is, you know, you played sometimes three games in a week, sometimes five if you played midweek games, but you didn't play six or seven games a week. uh, But that, you know, it's just become the way it is. I I guess it's the natural evolution of, you know, pitchers, pitch counts certainly not being what they used to be. um, And young pitchers being protected more and more, you know, babied into, I mean, babied sounds negative, but I think it's kind of true, uh, you know. Very rarely does a young pitcher come up and just, you know, start throwing a hundred pitches a game. It just you don't see that much They're If they're starters at all, they're they're thrown out there for maybe three or four innings and and then taken out. Um, and of course, that's why the win stat has become so irrelevant. Because yeah. you know you, you got like the Braves had, you know, that guy Anderson pitched really well. They took him out after four innings. He doesn't get the win. Like you know, it, it, that's bizarre. But it's just the way it is, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, it's. Funny, your your comment is well taken about how these guys just don't stay as starters. You know, it used to be you got moved to the bullpen when you weren't that valuable, right? right. And now it's like, no, no, no we we want a guy who can throw two or three innings, yes, to be in the bullpen um, of the hardest stuff. And, and yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, it's just it is. Uh... The value on starters. I mean, we, we had this conversation of you know a month or so ago about like future Hall of Fame potential for pitchers, and you know who the you know and I and I was thinking about it last night as I watched the Astros and Rays, and you know there's some there's some older guys in the league, Kershaw, Scherzer, you know Verlander, that are like okay, they're they're probably going to be in the Hall of Fame, and then you know we talked about Granky and John Lester, but like of young pitchers, pitchers who maybe been in the league you know five, six, seven years. I can't really think of any that at this point you feel like, well, they're on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Too early to say they'd be there for sure, but I can't think of any. Now, I may be missing somebody.
0: I mean, I guess, you know, it just. Yeah, is it Garrett Cole? Maybe Maybe Gary Cole. Or is he too, but is he in the older group? I mean, he's already signed his big contract. He
1: has, he has. I mean, that's a tough one, I suppose, because if you're too young, you know, saying, well, they're on a Hall of Fame path is, is, you know, foolish if you've been in the league for one or two years. But, like, you know, I I think it's fair to say that for Kershaw, for Verlander, for Grinke, for Lester, their primes are over. They're still good. They're still good pitchers, but they're not what they were. They're, they're guys that now you know, like, Well, they're Hall of Famers. They can still get it done, but they're not what they, you know, were in their in their prime. Like, who's the pitcher or pitchers in their prime right now that you'd say that guy's headed for the Hall of Fame? I don't I don't know that there's any. Because it just we do so much different stuff, these young guys and and they you know, the best sometimes, like you just said, sometimes the best pitchers they pitch out of the bullpen because yes. We've, we've sort of devalued, the, you know, the first five innings and put the biggest value on six or nine.
0: Yeah, it, it's fine. I mean, I know I keep bringing up the Brewers for this, but it's like when Hader came up, he was a starter who got moved to the bullpen. Yeah. And then he pitched well in the bullpen. And a year later, it's like, well, are they going to move him back to the rotation? And, and it became sort of, of course not. Why? Right. Why would they? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things
1: that as I say it out loud, we we started this conversation with basketball and I suppose it's sorta of similar to like the the analytics revolution of basketball and how the you know the three point shot has become so valued now. And when we were kids it was not. A three pointer was usually a bad shot when we were kids. You know, when we played basketball and we were kids, coaches told us, you know, take it free if you have to.
0: Yeah, the goal is uh, to get as close to the basket. As you yes. Before yes. You shot. and now
1: that's not the case. It's you know if you're taking a, a 18 footer, like uh, why don't you back up four feet, take a three. And mm-hmm. and I think you know what I said there is probably what baseball teams have you know started determining is like, well, I'd rather have my best arms there for the last nine outs than the first nine outs. Mm-hmm. That never used to be the way it was. I mean, you know, you had Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez and Greg Maddox and. You put them on the mound and they were going to get you, you know, six, seven, eight innings. You just knew it. Uh, and, and boy, it's just it's just not that way anymore. And it seems like as young pitchers come up and and they're either injured, they get injured quickly and they have Tommy John and they miss a year and then they come back or they go to the bullpen or both. Mm-hmm. They get injured and then they go to the bullpen. Uh, you know, it's just uh, and, and again, I mean, I know say this and it probably does sound like, you know. Things used to be better. I don't know if it's better or worse. It's just it's notably different.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing that's become crazy to me, and if you would have told young me this, I, I would be shocked. The me yeah. who would go to minor league games and spring uh-huh. training, that starters are throwing an easy... 98-mile-an-hour fastball. Oh, I know. And, and relievers. Know. If, you don't, if you can't touch 100, you better have devastating breaking stuff or something. I know. Or be left-handed. Which I, think,
1: I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with what I was just saying of injuries and guys pitching out of the bullpen. I mean, because, you know, like, it's, it's sort of, I mean, again, to cross sports, sort of like football. If guys are getting bigger, stronger, faster, they also seem to be getting injured more. Now, that's just anecdotally, it feels that way. I don't know if the numbers actually back that up, but it does. And I I certainly think with pitchers' arms, you know, I mean, it just stands to reason that the harder you throw, the more likely that you're going to have arm trouble. And, and I mean, the the evidence is irrefutable on that. The guys are throwing hard at young ages. They're throwing breaking stuff. They're throwing 98. And then they have this Tommy John, and it's just like part of the routine now. I was watching, I can't remember which game, one of the games – of the playoffs and somebody, and they were talking about how he had Tommy John in high school and then he had Tommy John again in the minor leaguer. Like that used to be a career ender. Yeah. Now it's just, you know, well, you might as well get your Tommy John out of the way early. And you know, then a few years later, you probably have a second one.
0: Yeah. Well, it be, it's become now sort of the, the first one is a gimme. And, yeah. and it's, yeah. you know, I think about like for the A's, AJ puck, the, you mm-hmm. know, this mm-hmm. year he had his, second or maybe third season ending arm surgery in spring training it's like well most guys if you have two that's it you don't come back and with this it's like oh well yeah he'll be ready for next spring and Uh, presumably he'll be throwing just as hard
1: exactly (laughs) that seems to be the the you know the way it is now I mean and and I you know like I said I go back you know to when I was you know high school and I was following baseball prospects and Man, if a guy had, you know, an arm injury and Tommy John was even discussed, it was like, well, boy, that's going to really, you know, set back his career. He's facing an uphill battle to even make it. Now it's it's just like, you know, part of the growing up process. Have your Tommy John, do your rehab, come back, and you throw just as hard as you used to. Maybe yeah. harder.
0: Yeah, oftentimes harder because you're not hurting right away. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's the other thing it used to, like, if you came back, it changed how you pitched. You know, the, the, the dominant stuff was gone. Well, it doesn't anymore, uh, you know, and I again, I mean, I guess that's good. That's positive that, you know, guys aren't, you know, it's just like ACL injuries. You know, ACLs used to be a, a death knell for your career. Now it's, you know, well, you're out, your six to nine months, you come back, you're all good. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, our medicine advances and our rehab training and things like that advance. But, boy, it's it's wild now how, you know, Tommy John is just treated like a, like a sprained ankle.
0: It'll yeah. cost you more
1: time, but but that's about
0: it. Yeah. Well, I, to me, one of the things that's interesting on this idea about how hard pitchers throw in things, I, I and the the one example that sticks in my head is Brad Penny in an all-star game was hitting a hundred and mm-hmm. he didn't hit a hundred mm-hmm. and they asked him, you know, what happened. He's like, Well, I knew I was only pitching one inning, so what's the difference? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's that's almost true. like teams took that and said, Well, we'd rather you throw as hard as you can for three innings mm-hmm. twice a week, then mm-hmm. you know, go for six innings every fifth day. Yeah,
1: I think that's exactly it. Yep, yep. And 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 I guess I mean, like I said, I, I can kind of sort of see the the rationale. I mean, if, if I'm a front office guy, if I'm a manager or coach, uh, you know, yeah, give me my give me my best arm at his best for short periods, and I could use him in the right times rather than, you know, once a week. And and even if he's really good, I still got to find a way to get the last, you know, six outs with somebody else. Uh, you know, that, that used to be just, like, taken for granted. You put your best pitchers out there to start, and now I think that's changed. The, the feeling is, I don't need my best pitcher to start. I need my best pitcher at the end to get the, you know, outs 22 through 27.
0: Yeah. So, hopefully... The Astros don't make the World Series.
1: Ah oh, um, man, I hope not. Yeah. Yeah, the, you know, it was one of those series and I don't know how much of it you've watched that even with the Rays up 3-0, it didn't really feel like they were in control because it was they were all close games.
0: It was the Astros know, and, beating themselves it felt like. Yeah, in
1: a way and and like the Rays making these great defensive plays, which is, you know, it's great. They count. And the wins count, but it it didn't feel like, you know, oh, man, they're dominating this series. They got this in the bag. Um, You know, all three of those games could have gone the other way. They didn't. But, yeah, it's certainly a series that I don't – I mean, at 3-1, I don't feel like, you know, well, they just got to win one more. It'll be fine. Like, eh, I don't know. Uh, It's – I mean, the the only time a team's ever done that was the Red Sox. And that was a series that after the first three games, it felt like, wow, this is totally lopsided. I remember – I remember you and I watching Game 3, because we were, we were freshmen that year. Game 3 was a beatdown by the Yankees, and you're like, this series is over. So, I mean, as I say that, I guess it doesn't really matter, but this is one that felt like, yeah, it could go the other way. Plus, no home field. That makes a huge difference. Every game's in the same place. Like, there's there's no momentum turner. Like, oh, they're going to go back to Tampa. They'll be fine then.
0: Yeah. I, I remember that that was our freshman year because you were journaling for Cool D, Don Godfrey's yes, class. That's and right. And you That's kept right. track yeah. of that entire yes. series.
1: That was a great series. I mean, I you know, I'm not a Red Sox fan necessarily, uh, you know. Uh, but, man, I remember the electricity of, you know, watching that game for when, you know, they had the stolen base, Dave Roberts, and, and they won, and then game five went extra innings, and like, boy, can they really do this? Like, no, they're not really going to do this, and, and they just kept on going, um, but, I mean, you know, we saw in basketball this year that, you know, 3-1 deficits didn't seem as insurmountable, and I think this is the same. Like, when you're not, you know, not, not that Tampa's got the greatest home field advantage, but, there's something, if, if this was the normal, you know, 2-3-2, two, two, and you felt like, well, tam has got game six and seven at home, the crowd will be raucous, they'll, they'll, they'll win those. It doesn't feel that way when you're on a neutral site.
0: Yeah, well, and their site has no fans.
1: None, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it feels like, I mean, I was rooting for the Lakers in the finals, and then the Heat won game five. You know, you're thinking, boy, this would feel a whole lot different in a normal finals if you thought, well, the Lakers got game seven at home if they have to. You, you know, you'd really be able to rely on that. Like, at a neutral site with no fans, you're like, well, momentum can shift real
0: quick. Yeah. Um, and then in the other series, you know, the Dodgers scored a whole bunch of runs across two yeah. innings.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, what
0: the ninth of uh the ninth and game the first. two, and then the first the first three of yesterday. They uh, what
1: total twenty or twenty runs or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they can they can bottle that up and keep it going. Great. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good first inning. They needed it. Uh, you know, they they finally oh uh, you know got their slumbering bats alive, and uh, we'll see if they can keep it up today.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Been fun though. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's been fun to hear just just the slightest crowd roars in baseball. Mm-hmm. I miss that, you know, like uh, a foul ball goes down the line and you see people chasing it. Like I miss that. You don't realize how much you miss it till you don't
0: have it. Yeah, I I like it. I think that the one thing about baseball's decision to do this, obviously, it varies by state. But de- sure. but deciding to do this and then having it be like, well, we're going to maintain distancing. People have to stay in their things. It's like, mm-hmm. but not during batting practice or not during right. a foul, if a right. foul ball goes in the stands. It's like, okay, well then just don't make the rule. If you just know, don't, yeah, I yeah, agree. Agreed. agreed. Yeah. Similar I, to I, the, I uh, you know, to all the other things that ha- it's yeah. like, look, if we're not going to enforce it, we just shouldn't have the rule. It's Just okay.
1: don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've noticed that in some of these college football games, too, that at the start of the game, you know, they'll show the overhead shot. Like, OK, you know, and then by the end, uh, the people up top have come down to the bottom and they've got better seats.
0: Yeah, well, or I was, I, I, that know,
1: Iowa State, Oklahoma game was like, you know, whoa, it, it looks pretty crowded down below there as everybody's crowded into the small area.
0: Well, and it's, you know, everyone's wearing face masks in the student section and then you have an SMU situation where they right, just throw right. everyone out because they're not anymore. <laughs>
1: right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I have enjoyed having the fans back. I mean, it's been nice in some football games to hear that. And, and uh, you know, basketball and hockey, I thought they did a you know pretty good job of, of having the ambient sound Um but it, you know, football's been weird. The games with no fans, where they p- tried to pipe in sound, it's weird because they're late on it sometimes, and then then it'll just like be silent for a while, and you know, it's it's nice to have some like actual real sound from a from a group of fans
0: at a game. Well, and that suggestion that you only get to uh, to go up to seventy decibels, it's like, well, you might as well have none. You no, know. I know. Yeah, I mean
1: that's not much in a, in a massive football
0: stadium. Um, so, especially yeah, I mean, the open air stadiums. Yes,
1: I mean the end of that Seahawks Vikings game on Sunday night. Like that was that was a place I really noticed the absence of fans. Like, can you imagine the roars that you you know in in Seattle? They're going for a go ahead touchdown. They're scoring fourth and goal, and they're like, oh, they scored. Like, boy, we, we, that's where we needed the fake crowd. Give me something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the announcers can only sell so hard.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, give me give me some fake crowd noise there. They had none like this is a massive play and no
0: one is there to react. Um so before we go, what we're gonna let's jump back into our ASU yes. season by season discussion. That's right. And uh, a year of sadness. I was gonna say, and we'll do it. With what I think can only be described as a bad year. <laughs> yeah, is this? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk two thousand
1: eight. Is, is this possibly the most disappointing season in our ASU years? I mean, maybe maybe what twenty sixteen, the year that that we started with a And M and we ended up under five hundred. Yeah, those, I mean, those are the only two I can think of uh, when you compare expectations to how they finish.
0: I do think that this is probably second to 2016 because we yeah. were picked to be a playoff team you know we had lost Taylor we Kelly but right. we had a guy who'd started three games the year back. before yeah yeah know, and who
1: had been really good or was it wait 2015 I got the wrong year it right. was 15 because 13 we won the south 14 we we won 10 games and we, we had a chance to win the south till the last game of the year and yeah, it was 15. Sixteen was was the nightmare year for Graham. That
0: we sixteen was the bottom terrible. where he got five. Yeah, and yeah. not so not 15. immediately, but but yeah, pretty much sealed his fate
1: for the next year. So yeah, I've got the I've got the slightly wrong year. Fifteen was the uh, was the year we started with a And M, and we were we were top fifteen preseason, and and that was similar to this two thousand eight year. We you know we had a we talked about the group from oh seven when we last did this, and you know a lot of that team was back. Rudy was back for his, you know, third full year, fourth fourth year, you know, at least partially as the starter. Keegan Herring was back, Mike Jones, Chris McGahay. Um, you, you thought, you know, this team, you know, they won 10 games and, and you got a lot back and should be really good. And it started out good. And it didn't
0: carry on after the first two games. I mean, yes, unfortunately, it, it started out good in a year where, that, you know, that had to happen. Like there was no, yeah. you know, they're playing a- a- NAU. Right. That's a 30-15 we in the country yeah. at
1: the preseason. So.
0: A 30-13 to win. But am I right that that game was closer than it should have been at the half? It was
1: a rather unimpressive win, I recall. We were up 27 nothing at the half. So, I mean, it was, it was a game that uh, we didn't struggle to win or anything. But I remember it being rather underwhelming. And the reason I remember that is we, we played Stanford week two, and Stanford had Harbaugh at the time, and, and they were kind of building something. You know, they, 07 was the year that they beat USC, ended their, you know, that, that game where they were massive underdogs, and it felt like this team has something. And I remember it was like a popular upset pick that week, you know, that the national you know media was, well, watch out for Stanford and ASU. And, and it felt like, yeah, they, they might be on to something. But and then we beat, it, we beat Stanford soundly.
0: Yeah. And I remember leaving that game and thinking, hmm, all right, we got ourselves a pretty good team here. And that was the last time I thought that way after a game. Yeah. Because week three, we're hanging out at home. Yeah. UNLV. Not a particularly good UNLV team. Not a good
1: UNLV team at all. No. And the next weekend, and we got to put this in the right context – Seven days later, we were playing preseason number one Georgia at home, who had survived. I remember they played, I believe, South Carolina on the SEC afternoon game. Barely beat them, but they'd won. Mm -hmm. And we were all set. College game day was coming. And we were going to be the marquee. We were ABC primetime the next week, which we still were. Um, And it was going to be a massive game. It was going to be one of those many, many, many ASU litmus test games. This we're gonna find out how good this program is.
0: Once we and boy, dispatched, I, we were caught looking yeah. ahead. Once we dispatched with the poor running rebels, yeah, uh, yeah, which was gonna be easy, yeah. no
1: problems. And it started out kind of that way. You know, we we weren't playing great, but we were up thirteen three or thirteen ten at the half mm-hmm. in an ugly half. I remember, you know, we had not played well, but we had the lead then we scored i think you know on the on the first possession of the third quarter yeah, big like Kyle
0: Iowa. williams touchdown
1: yeah and and i remember thinking all right you know it's one of those games you kind of sleepwalk through it you know looking ahead to next week but we're going to pull away we're going to win comfortably we'll win by you know two three touchdowns and then we'll see next week how good this team really is you know because that was a good georgia team matt stafford no marino aj green massaqua etc they were they were loaded um, and, and then we didn't score again the rest of the way
0: we, yeah.
1: we were supposed to put the game away And we did not We failed to do so
0: We we had shut UNLV out For the first 23 or so minutes Yeah Of the second half But then a, a field goal Made it a touchdown game It's fine No, no panic Just a little no. disheartening right. Going to get the ball back Got six and a half minutes to go veteran quarterback. Yeah. Should be fine. Comfortable again, running. We're gonna escape. Yeah, we're
1: we're fine, you know. The field goal that they've gotten, I'm looking at it, they had been down to the one yard line, held mm-hmm. it to a field goal. So we're fine. You know, again, ugly.
0: Well and they kicked it deep. You know, there was six and a half minutes. It wasn't like yeah. we you know we had the ball. We had a chance to yeah. just ice the game. Yeah. But no. Alas.
1: But we don't. Third and, uh, so we get a first down on that drive. And then we get on third and nine, we throw for six yards, we punt to the 26, but still, three minutes to go, they've scored one touchdown the whole game, you know, we'll find a way,
0: and we did not. <laughs> the Rebels march down the field, and with 18 seconds left, touchdown pass, extra point, and we're... A- a- and, and, we're tied. Tied. We're going and, a,
1: and they had a fourth down conversion earlier on that drive to the same guy who caught the touchdown. And I would not have remembered this guy's name. I'm looking at it. Philip Payne was his name. I remember the quarterback was Omar Clayton. He was a big dude, the, the receiver. And the fourth down play and the touchdown, I remember, were very similar. They were just jump balls that he's went up and caught over. I can't even remember who the defender was. But it was, uh, you know, it was like, man, we just had no answer for that guy.
0: We go to overtime. UNLV field goal to win the game. Field and that goal. was
1: after we started. We started with the ball, or no? They they kicked the field goal. Right. Then we get the ball, and Weber's field goal was blocked. Yes, I remember yeah. Weber's field goal got blocked,
0: and that's um, how the game ends. The yes, the one time yes. Groza Award winner, yeah, has a very makeable overtime field goal to force yeah, a second yards.
1: OT. Yeah, I mean, even down to that point. Like, I remember UNLV scored the touchdown, and it's like, boy, this is really going to be an ugly win. I mean, it was really one of those games that you thought, boy, after this game, we are going to be, you know, wiping our brow with how, you know, relieved we are to have gotten this win. But we'll get it because UNLV stinks, and, you know, come on, we're going to get it. And then we held it to a field goal. Like, okay, we should be good. And I remember the third down. Now, the website says Rudy threw the pass to Javon Williams. My memory doesn't match that. I thought it was to Stanley Malamala. But maybe Malamala was just out there at the same time. I don't know. Um, But it was incomplete. And I remember before the field goal, like, thinking, God, if he doesn't make this field goal, we're going to lose. That would be really (laughs) terrible. And then, sure enough, it was blocked, and we lost, and, like, it was really terrible.
0: Yeah, it was exactly what you thought. And then the slippery slope. Oh, God.
1: Uh, I don't know if slippery slope even does it justice. (laughs) It was was just a straight downhill slope.
0: So then Georgia comes to town, beats us soundly, 27-10, yeah. not even close. In a
1: game that could have been worse.
0: Yeah. Could have been worse. Never, I mean, never felt like we had a chance.
1: No, no. I mean, it, it, I think I think they were up, weren't they up like 21-3 or something at the half? Yeah. And then they just kind of put it on cruise control in the second half. Like it was, yeah, 21-3. That was Sean Marino's famous dive over the goal line. That was like his go-to draft highlight. The I was next say,
0: highlight played multiple <laughs> saw times. Saw <laughs>
1: that eight thousand times the next April when he went in the first round. Yeah, um, you know, and and I mean, look, that Georgia team was was good. They didn't end up meeting the expectations that year. I think they went you know ten and two or something like that. Had a solid year, but didn't didn't win the title like they were supposed to. Um, but they were loaded, and and yeah, they just kind of put it on cruise control. And from what I recall, just absolutely terrorized Rudy. Uh, I I mean, from my memory, he got sacked a lot.
0: Yeah, he. uh, Yeah,
1: he had uh, minus seventeen rushing yards.
0: The the combination of a good defense and Rudy's steadfast refusal to throw the ball.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Only four sacks. I thought it was more. Um, But yeah the uh, the total net rushing yards four for ASU for Georgia one seventy six. That pretty much tells the story.
0: Yeah uh we also had a fumble in that game yeah and yeah it, was, it was never really a game yeah. and and it,
1: you know looking back like i remember fooling myself i, I remember i think either talking to you or texting with you before the game because by this point of course you were you were no longer in tempe you were at harvard so we weren't there together in person but i remember texting you or talking to you and saying i think we're gonna win it was totally foolish just totally fooling myself into believing something that, you know, uh, we just had one bad game, we're going to figure it out. And no, that team just wasn't very good, and this was this was the beginning of that exposure.
0: Yeah, and we weren't that good. And you know how you know we weren't that good? Because we, pre- <laughs> we proceeded to go to <laughs> Cal and lose, yeah. go to USC yeah. and be shut out, go to Oregon or, yes. or have Oregon at home and get blitzed. Oh. I mean, that was just
1: a domination by Oregon. We talked about the 0-6 domination. '08 was just as bad. Uh, that was that was the era when Oregon coming to Sun Devil Stadium just felt like you know, men and boys, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean that that final fifty-four to twenty. Yeah. Our yeah. fifth yeah. consecutive loss, but the streak wasn't over because nope. then we went to Oregon State. Doormat, Oregon State. Yeah. And lost twenty-seven. And points. lost
1: there too. Now I'm trying to remember. We lost by two. Did we? Yeah, we we went for a two-point conversion late. Mm-hmm. We scored a touchdown. We were down twenty-seven, nineteen. Touchdown mm-hmm. pass to Andrew Pettus. There's a random name for you. Uh, and then Rudy was intercepted on the two-point conversion with twenty-one seconds left. That mm-hmm. was. I mean, that was a game we were at least competitive. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but but yeah, I mean the the two before that. Yeah, the USC game. I remember that. That was. That was another one where, like, defensively, we, we hung in with a pretty good team, kind of like Georgia. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you told us beforehand, 27 points to Georgia, 28 to USC, given the talent that those two teams had, you would have thought, well, all right, you know, we're at least in the game. But the offense was terrible. And that was, I mean, that was the story of this year was our offense just just disappeared from the previous year. Um the offensive line was a disaster and it just, you know, it spread like a virus basically. We couldn't we couldn't block for the run game. We couldn't protect Rudy. Rudy, you know, as you said, wasn't a big fan of throwing the ball away, so he got sacked a lot, which meant he got banged up. And it was just, you know, we were we were infected early on and it didn't get better.
0: Well, I mean Rudy's efficiency disappeared, he threw nine picks. Yeah. You know, our yeah. our yeah. offense averaged under three hundred and ten yards a game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for a for a team that, again, the start of this, we talked about the returning offensive talent from the year before. To go, you know, 20 points against UNLV, 10 against Georgia, 14 against Cal, zero against USC, 20 against Oregon. That's just not good enough. I mean, that's just not going to win you very many games. And it didn't. Uh, you know, I mean, in, in the Pac-10 at that time, you had to score points. It's still that way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and uh, you know, 20 points or less... Which is what we had in five straight games is not good enough to win, and it wasn't obviously. And yeah, the uh, the Oregon game was probably the low point of that. I remember, and I'm going to look it up. I think it was the third quarter touchdown run by Legarrette Blunt. It was thirty to six at the time, and he was like he was stopped after maybe two yards, and he just shook some shook some poor ASU defender off and waltzed into the end zone. And it was like you know the 2008 season in one play. It was, well, we tried, but we just were not even close to good enough.
0: Yeah. Then, uh, you know, a little November miracle. Uh, three. Well. Ran off three straight wins to get right back to the cusp. Miracle by playing
1: three terrible teams,
0: from what yeah. I recall. Yeah. Yeah. But so we get right back to the cusp, Matt. The very cusp of bull eligibility.
1: Yeah. 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 Now, let's let's look here. Because Washington, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Washington was 0 8 going in. So we won that game on the road, but. They were really bad. Washington State was 1-9 and nine going in.
0: Oh, yeah, this beat was that sounding. fun Apple Cup game that yes, year.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, they, they were both horrible. And UCLA, I want to say, was pretty bad, too. UCLA was 4-6 and six going in. We beat them 34-9, to nine and we did it, if my memory is right, and it is, without an offensive touchdown. We scored four defensive touchdowns and two field goals. Which is tough to do. It is. It is. I mean, you know, and and good for defense. And that was really like when we talk about this season and how disappointing it was defensively, we weren't bad. Now the Oregon game is an exception to that, but you know, you look at it like again, 27 points to a Georgia team that had was loaded with future NFL guys, 28 to USC, same thing. Um, You know, 24 to Cal. That was a pretty good Cal team at the time. Mm -hmm. Shut out. Washington state get, you know, hold UCLA out of the end zone and, and four defensive touchdowns. Like, it was not a bad defensive team that year, and it was just wasted by a horrifically bad offense.
0: So then we get to the Territorial Cup, which, the worst Territorial Cup performance? I, yeah. I mean, we're, I mean we're, the we're only contender 10-10? is 2016,
1: and yeah. I know that one was 2016, yeah. when they didn't throw a pass the entire second half, and they scored touchdowns on every drive, I think. Like, that was pretty pathetic, although offensively it was, you know, we, we hung in there offensively that game. Um, yeah, I mean, those those are the two that uh, I would say, yeah, just as far as, like, pathetic effort. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's those two, and there's not a third. And hopefully there won't ever be a third to go in that conversation. It'd be nice if we go the rest of our lives with that one like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh it, you know, ASU, we got up 10-7 at the half. We did?
1: We did, yeah. Once again, playing good defense, you know, it was ugly. But it was like, wow, we're somehow finding a way. Now, I remember our touchdown came because the U of A punter caught the ball on a knee. And he was down. And we got the ball inside the 20, and we scored a touchdown on that drive. Um, So, you know, even when we scored a touchdown, it was a result of ugly play from U of A that gave it to us.
0: Yeah, well, the second half got a lot worse. Got out of hand. Yeah. Yeah a uh, a 21 point third quarter and then an icing on the cake return, field goal out, early in the fourth yeah. yeah
1: rudy was just terrible 13 yeah. for 31 124 yards only one pick but see that that was that was the thing with rudy he didn't throw a lot of picks but he just gave us nothing that year yeah he just really did like it just there was no no life to his game and and that was a perfect i, I will remember it forever I know it was kind of immature, but because I was working for ASU and I was in the press box, I got to vote for the territorial cup MVP and I voted for Rudy as an Arizona winner.
0: Um, <laughs> I did not but know I did that. Oh yeah, That's I did. Yeah,
1: yeah. I wrote down Rudy Carpenter as my Arizona winner for the Ben goo award. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still stand by it. He was their MVP. It was terrible.
0: Uh, um,
1: and, and if he had been even halfway decent, we could have won that game because Arizona didn't play that well.
0: No. Our, uh, I mean, here's the problem: is 124 yards rushing yeah. for or 124 yards passing for Rudy, but our running game did nothing. Keegan Heron, 14 for rushing. 31, yeah. was our leading yeah. rusher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: that was uh, again. That, you know, we we've had a lot of years, but the offensive line has been a question mark going in. And and I think the reason that you know me especially because I, I you know I worked closely with that team um it is always so you know nervous about an offensive line being a problem is that year because it ruined everything for that team it really did i mean that that team was supposed to be pretty good and with just a decent offensive line i think we could have you know been an eight or nine win team at least and it just totally derailed that team we couldn't run the ball we couldn't throw the ball and when you can't do either one of those things it's hard to score points
0: yeah Unless your defense scores four touchdowns, which...
1: Which we did once, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which but, is asking know, a lot, it's, frankly. It's a hard method to repeat, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it takes a... And it takes, quite honestly, a pretty incompetent um, opposite side, which UCLA was, um, mm. uh, you know, giving you the ball over and over and over again uh, to let you do that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just... Um, it was it was an ugly year. It was a disappointing year. And uh, for all the... You know, positives that we felt about the first year of Dennis Erickson, it erased pretty much all of them. And and you know, I think it's not a you know controversial thing to say that the UNLV game was basically the end of Dennis Erickson. We didn't know it for three and a half more seasons, but it was it. Like he had he had started twelve and three in his first fifteen games, and it was a precipitous slide after that.
0: Yeah, it was a. Uh... It was a harbinger of bad things to come.
1: It was, it was. I mean, you know, the the program's heart was was gone that night, and it never it never came back under him. Even twenty eleven, when we started with a pretty good you know pretty good record, and and we went into November with a golden opportunity to win the first Pac twelve South. Um, you know, it, it all fell apart that November when we lost you know four in a row, and then the bowl game. And uh, you know, yeah, if there's ever a clear you know, line of demarcation for a coaching tenure. We talked about a few of them with Dirk. When when was the end of Dirk? And there's a few possibilities. With Dennis, I think it's pretty simple. UNLV. That's that's it. That's all you got to say. To anybody who was an ASU fan in 2008 or those years, you say UNLV and people know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. The next couple years of the recap are going to be rough. So Yeah, yeah. Buckle I mean, up.
1: That's why I phrased 08 as one of the most disappointing wasn't the worst. Probably the next one's the worst. Um, it was certainly, I mean, it was the worst record that we had in '09. 9 and considering, can, you know, not to go too deep into it, but we won four games, and two of them were against, uh, I think, like Idaho State, Louisiana, Monroe, or somebody, whoever they were. They were, they were you know, cupcake opponents. Um 9 was the worst team. '08 8 was the most disappointing, I would say.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very fair description.
1: Now, 15's a good a good one, too, and we can have that conversation when we get to it. But, uh, yeah, those those two years were both, you know, we, we had come off good years the year before. We started the year with high expectations, and it's, I mean, it is the reason, and I don't like it. But years like that are the reason that ASU fans cringe when the team is ranked preseason. Because, like, oh, God, another one of those? High expectations, let down, we, we've done it too often.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. We're gonna we're getting dangerously close to having to start picking our game we are. for the ASE We are, season. Yes, you are
1: correct. I know. I, I mean, it just kind of dawned on me this week that next Saturday the Big Ten's back, which means three Saturdays from now the Pac-12 is back. So, yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're gonna have to get into it and uh, get ready for the Sun Devils and the Trojans in what twenty-three days? How about that?
0: Yeah, ASU opens as a double-digit underdog. I think that is a mistake.
1: I do, too. But, you know, as I just said, ASU fans, I'm not one, but ASU fans tend to like to play the underdog role. Well, this gives us that chance. Uh, they, they don't like to be the, the favorite, uh, the hunted. I guess we're not, to start with. And I, I feel like we can prove it. But we'll find out, as I said, 23 days with Big Dune kickoff, uh, an old 9 a.m. start in L.A.,
0: That'll be fun.
1: It will be. It will be. It'll be different in a lot of ways. Season opener in November, empty stadium. But, uh, hey, it's, it's better than not seeing any ASU football at all for the calendar year 2020.
0: Well, we'll talk about that and everything else the next time we're on. Until then, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.